the crowd. Well, hello everyone. Um, I'm back again. Um, seem to be eager to do these little videos at the moment, having done one just yesterday. Uh, but today I'm not on my own. I'm, I'm with a new friend, um, a new Facebook friend, and uh, I'm going to delight to introduce you to, to my new friend, uh, um, Richard, um, or Billy Wiz, he's sometimes known as. And um, he's a Facebook commentator, really, who's an atheist, uh, but a smart, kind, nice atheist, I'm told. Um, he said he was worried that he was being like a lamb to the slaughter this morning. I guess I feel the same way. Uh, but actually, we had a really interesting and respectful discussion um, start off on a, a mutual friend's Facebook wall following my post on telling the truth about COVID. Uh, or Billy had a number of, of great questions, really. And well, let's, let's turn this into a bit of a, a discussion, a meeting of minds. And the goal here is not for each of us to bash each other over the head of the clubs until at the end one of us emerges bloodied as the victor. No, the idea is for us to just try and um, understand each other and what we think and uh, help you guys, as you're watching this, to understand two very different perspectives and how actually maybe we might have some similarities too. So over to you, Billy. Can you just introduce yourself and uh, just tell everyone what you thought of my post initially? Oh, hello, everybody. Uh, Richard's my real name. Billy's Wiz has been called since I was about 12. Um, I was fascinated by Adrian's post and I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it and liked it by the fact it's trying to explain complex times of our life uh, and explain the importance of understanding these, these complex times really uh, relating to COVID and also other issues we're looking at as well. Uh, I'm fascinated to learn at every juncture I can and I think already I'm learning different perspectives from Adrian and hopefully different things. Uh, and I don't know what to add after that. Hello. <laughs> Great. So, Billy, um, why, why don't we start with some of the sort of things that you, you sort of specifically liked about this? So, I, I guess this issue of telling lies and the truth. First of all, I, one question I've got for you before you hit me with the questions is, is this a problem in the atheist community as well? This, this, you know, these, these people who've become a little bit obsessed with certain conspiracy theories and, and just seem to not be able understand rubbish <laughs> sorry that sounds really rude but you no no i know i i i don't think it's uh i think this is a facet of humanity that is possibly not related to your ideologies uh our psychology is a very complex uh structures and i'm fascinated by what is it within our complex uh structures that we share in common across ideologies that drive us to believe some way uh conspiracy theories is it a desire to uh to stand out from the crowd or see conspiracy wherever you want to. Is it related to theology? I don't think it is. There are conspiracy theorists within uh, the, I don't want to say atheist community because it's not a community per se. Uh, but yes, of course there are. Of course there are people who have irrational thought processes. Yes. And so, I mean, obviously for me, I had seen a lot of this on my Facebook wall. I don't know if you see a lot on your Facebook wall, um, but uh, that's partly, um, I suppose, a kind of accident of the way I used Facebook because I had a lot of people in the early days who, who read my blog. And I guess most of those are probably Christians, to be fair. A lot of them were American Christians. And so um, I've got a lot of people who, who befriended me in the early days and I, I used to just friend them back. This was before the idea of a sort of a fan page, which I hate the thought of, to be honest. But so I, yeah, so I these people on my Facebook feed and line after line of some of this, this, this stuff, you know, things like, oh, you know, we must just all take anti-malaria tablets and then there would be a no problem, it'd be a cure, and, which is just nonsense. Or, you know, it's all a conspiracy to try and get rid of Donald Trump. And as much as, you know, we might, uh, most people outside of America would agree with that idea to get rid of him. We're not going to sort of crash our economies and pretend we've got an illness just to do that. 
Um, you know, and, and all sorts of other craziness. That, that Things like the, the vaccines are going to be a mark of the beast. So I'm seeing all of this stuff in my, my feed. And eventually it was just one too many of them. And I kind of got, ah, you, know, you make me angry. And so, um, so they got a bit of a rant. And uh, you, you read that, I guess. You, you were quite interested in this idea of truth, were you? Was that what, what drew you to, to it a little bit? Yeah, I'm quite fascinated by epistemolo epistemology. And is this an epistemological issue we're looking at? Uh, when we look at conspiracy theories about people, how, how, how are we capable of understanding what we know and where our knowledge comes from? And I think this could be at the crux of some of these issues of conspiracy theories, because it's maybe... Uh, I don't use the word ignorance, but a dismissal of the concept of what is knowledge and how can we verify something we know. So that's how I see conspiracy theories, because it seems to be wanting to take a step back and also uh, ignore the concept of Occam's razor, uh, which is a, it's quite a useful tool when you're trying to analyse conflicting views. Right, no, sure. Do you want to explain that to people who might know what Occam's Razor is? Yeah, Occam was a Franciscan monk, uh, lived just south of Surrey. And he had, it's called a razor because it's talking about cutting things away. So his, his uh, principle was that if you have two opposing explanations for a same event, the one that uses the fewest assumptions is most likely to be the one that's correct. So it's effectively talking about how to analyse assumptions. I see. So how would that apply to this sort of conspiracy theory idea then? Well, to an extent, exactly what you just mentioned about when we said uh, the mark of the devil or the theories about Bill Gates putting chips into vaccines, etc. Uh, and were these government conspiracies to create this, this uh, virus? Well, if it was, it's an incredibly convoluted and strange way to go about it because you have no control over what's happening there. So you have to take the step back and say, Right, let's look deeply into what you're saying, what your conspiracy is, and how actually likely and beneficial is that to those who are, who are creating the conspiracy? And a quick example, I suppose, is those who are, believe the moon landings were fabricated. Well, that would be a conspiracy that would require tens of thousands of people to buy into it and nobody to leak from it. And that's very unlikely that you could keep that secret. No, I... So I suppose then you and I would both be similar in the sense that we obviously would be quite sceptical of these conspiracies and take a more sort of simple view of the life, of life that it's more about people's kind of uh, incompetence often rather than their malignance, you know, because <laughs> we're all very incompetent, let's be honest, and actually dealing with, you know, this, this crisis, which is in many ways that I would argue the most serious medical, uh, economic, and social crisis that, that has happened in our lifetimes and certainly since World War II and arguably in terms of its global impact, perhaps even before global, World War II, because what a lot of people don't realize during World War II, a lot of members of the ordinary populations of, of countries were not perhaps as badly affected as it's starting to look like we will, and it's particularly in certain countries of the world. It's, whereas at the moment, it's, it's rapidly becoming the case that this has had a huge impact on every country pretty much in the world. Uh, and we're not really hearing about some of the impacts in some of the poorer countries in the world, which have just been devastating um, mm. economically as well. Because, you know, if you if you can't work in India or Africa, you can't eat. You know, there's no, there's, in certain parts of those countries, there's no ability to, to get money any other way than, than, than working. And so, you know, if you have a lockdown, that's going on. So it's an absolute disaster uh, for people. And, and we're only at the beginning of that. Um, I think things like the furlough scheme are sort of hiding some of the economic realities from us that are that are just devastating and almost daily in the UK you hear of another company letting people go and those everyone who's let go it's another life isn't it who's, who's, who's suddenly in financial peril so 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, and I completely agree with the comparison towards the Second World War. This is, this is uh, an event that, is, that doesn't, doesn't respect age. Uh, it doesn't respect theological views, political views, country affiliations, whatever affiliations you want. It is, it is a virus. And its impact is utterly incredible. And that's why I find it difficult sometimes to, to, to follow those conspiracy theorists who are willing to almost ignore the consequence of what's happening and claim the consequence isn't there until it happens to them. And that's, yeah. that's a strange thing, because one of my questions I was going to have to use is, is about the way we perceive the world and the way we perceive the size of our community. And I think that can drive people's views. And maybe what makes people believe certain things is, I'd say often say this, how selfish they are to an extent. What is my community? Is my community the people in my family? Or is it the people in my town, the people in my county, the people in my country, or the people in the world? And I'd like to think I have more of the global view, and I believe that most Christians do as well in that. We have a globalized view. You know, that the, the Bible teaches us that as a fundamental, isn't it? To, to treat our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, yes. And I believe sometimes that's lost in the messaging around this. And if you step back and look at it in that manner, that must surely drive our responses to it and our understanding of it, because then only then can we understand the consequence. Yes, no, I agree. So um, one of the things I discovered after I uh, written this, because I had a bit of a view when I was writing this that, you know, I had what I call sort of an Elijah syndrome. I don't know how well you know the story of the prophet Elijah, but there was a moment in his life where he got depressed and he sat in a cave somewhere and he said, whoa, basically, whoa with me. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that, you know, follows you, God, anymore or believes you. And you can have that sort of mentality sometimes when you're writing, especially, you know, because I'd seen so much in my feed and most people who were more on the same side, just weren't sort of speaking. And so you sort of think, oh, am I gonna lose all my American friends, you know, uh, when I write this? But I was actually really gratified that the response has actually been huge. And there's a lot of people who said, actually, Adrian, you said exactly what we were thinking. We just didn't know how to say it, or we hadn't, didn't feel right to say it, or we didn't feel comfortable to say it. And so, so that's been good. But I also discovered that there was a, a particular Christian group uh, in, in America called BioLogos, which is quite interesting, you know, bio from biology and logos. Mm. Uh, the word and all the rest of it, who, who, who actually had come out with a statement basically saying that, you know, as Christians, we should be seekers after the truth. And that was a word that was used of you by our mutual friend on Facebook. Um, yeah. uh, we should be looking for the truth and that therefore we should be committed to the science and we should support the science and be, you know, trying to be led by the science, which is a phrase that a lot of politicians use. Um, and it's not always easy, of course, because you still have to balance, you know, the economic costs and the social costs of some of these measures. And, it doesn't remove all the kind of doubts about whether we're doing the right thing, but does at least, you know, determine, like you were saying, this idea that, uh, well, and the phrase that they used was, love your neighbor, wear a mask, you know, which is a sort of quite a simple sort of concept that actually the mask wearing is not just about protecting you. So you as an individual, perhaps as a young person, might feel I'm not vulnerable to this virus, although that's not always true. Some young people have died of it, um, but you might feel like you're going to be okay. Oh, it's just the flu, I'll be fine. Um, or you might think, and this is another thing I see a lot, oh, well, it hasn't happened to anyone I know. So you see a lot on Facebook, people will say, well, I don't know anyone that's even had this, do you? Ha ha, it's just not real. It's somehow it's out there. And I get quite annoyed with that because I feel like saying, well, I've got personal friends in my church who've lost their husbands or their wives, you know, um, and that's that's the reality. And my own family members had it and didn't, didn't actually end up in hospital but nearly did and you know one of them was was sort of unable to taste for months afterwards and things like this it's, it's a real thing this isn't a conspiracy this isn't a hoax 
And I think that's what happens is some people like to sort of say it's out there, it's not really happening here and it can't happen here. And so then when they get told, for example, right, you can't have church, then immediately we get into this hostility thing. And this is where perhaps the sort of, you know, this is where it begins to get interesting for you and I, because of course you're in that sort of big bad atheist camp, you know? And um, there's this idea that the atheists are now in charge and they're now in, in power and that they're the now I sometimes even call it this. I sort of talk about the, the, the new atheocracy. So where we used yeah. to have atheocracy and, 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 and um, you know, the, the dominant religion, you know, was Christianity. And perhaps, you know, Christians at times in the past have been guilty of oppressing those who didn't you know, agree with them. And, you know, the laws were set up to favour them and all the rest of it. There's this increasing feeling in the Christian con con community, even in America, that, you know, that there's this battle between good and evil. And that's part of the thing between the Democrats and the Republicans, why so many Christians will, will be so Republican, because they feel yeah. like, rightly or wrongly, that the Democrats are these atheists, you know, who hate them, and if they could, would sort of burn them at the stake. And so in that context, you know, you get a, um, a leader, a political leader say, right, you've got to sh shut your churches, and they feel like they're just doing it for an excuse. And so you have some quite respectable members of, church you know society coming out and refusing to do that and risking prison and risking huge fines and things and keeping their churches open and and starting the church service by saying things like see we're all here none of us are wearing masks none of us are social distancing and my view when i hear that is you fool because all it takes is one person to be there with the virus and you can infect hundreds as we know happened in the pub in in um, aberdeen so it's kind of like yeah. this is crazy yeah, it, it is quite curious, and I'm quite curious about the, the difference in Christianity across the Atlantic as well. And it certainly seems in the US that the, the Christian voice has a much more significant influence in, in general society. I do think it's a bit of who shouts loudest uh, sort of concept on there, because I said our communal friend Aidan, I've spoke with Aidan before about this, about the Christian right, and he says I'm very much the Christian left. So again, this is this complex uh, construct of society of, of the individual shall we say that you could almost take uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the physics word I've forgot it now I've told you I've warned you this would happen uh, I'll come back to it an approach that we have different parts of our personality that have different strengths a quantum approach that's what I was looking for so do we have a quantum approach to personality where we have a whole host of tra whole host of traits that are on a spectrum I'm quite high on the ADHD spectrum um, and it's the balance of those that end up joint making our decision making. So when I see Christianity in the US and that, I think there's also a lot of um, a phrase I've read about called toxic individuality in the US. Mm. I think there's a lot of the obsession of the liberty of the individual uh, and kind of the opposite of what Spock would say in Star Trek, which are the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And it's that view of the needs of the few, I think. So if you have uh, a church leader who is of that ilk, they don't want to take, it's natural in our human instinct not to take advice from outside of our community because they're not the people we intrinsically trust. So perhaps it's some of that. If you don't think the same way I do, why should I trust your view? Uh, and it's the acceptance of the possibility. And there's a note I wrote before this. Is the most important question anybody can ask themselves or say to them, sorry, not question, statement they can make, I don't know. And what I see from some of these communities is a lack of desire to say, I don't know, I'll trust somebody else. And as you said, follow the science, trust the science. But also we've got to, we've got to trust the politicians because the scientists can't see the economic effects. So, you know, we kind of need a combined meritocracy at this stage, don't we? Or, uh, sorry, what's the, 
what's the other word I'm looking for? Technocracy. So we do need our experts at this point to be telling us what is happening and then somebody in authority to make that judgment. We have to kind of trust that judgment. Uh, yeah. And it's difficult for us to do that. Yeah, rather than trust what we see. I mean, like, I think that's the thing. So this is quite interesting in terms of the issue around, you know, medicines, whether they work, which is one of my areas, you know, without wanting to sort yeah. of blow my own trumpet, as it were. But, you know, I've spent 15 years working in the pharmaceutical industry, helping to design, helping to run, helping to interpret, helping to um, communicate the results of these huge randomised control trials. And, now, you know, mm. I, I'm a... I'm a really big fan of randomized controlled trials um, within the medical field because I think they're the only way that we can really understand whether or not a medicine works. And they're rather nice, rather clever, and rather in some ways simple, although obviously the, the details of these are much more complicated than they initially sound, clin um, experiment. They're a scientific experiment, and it's, it's something that is rather beautiful and rather nice, and you shouldn't really argue with the results of them. You can argue about whether they were run right, or whether they were designed right, or whether they asked the right question. Uh, and sometimes, yes, you'll run a clinical trial, and then you'll run another one that might look as though it's fairly similar, but is slightly different, perhaps in terms of which people it allows in, or all of those kinds of things, and can come up with slightly different results. So, you know, it's not as though it's a sort of completely simple thing, but nonetheless, an RCT, to use that word trump, you know, should trump anything else um, and yet what we're seeing here is a lot of people who get sick and then they hear something on the news about a malaria tablet or something and so maybe they get persuade their doctor to prescribe it for them or they get it somehow and they take the malaria tablet and then the next day they feel better and they think oh great the malaria tablet hit me <laughs> but actually that's nonsense because maybe they would have got better sort of anyway because that's the other thing about this virus a lot of people one of the reasons why a lot of people don't realise how serious it is because they might have heard of people who get over it and they say, oh, well, it's a wonderful survival, you know. Um, I, I, I was fine. Again, it's, I was fine. But actually, for somebody like me, you know, with my condition, I've got blood cancer, 30 to 40% of people who get coronavirus and report it to their doctors with my blood cancer condition actually die. So no wonder I've got a different perspective on it to someone else who might have thought that they've got a, like a, maybe a 1% chance of death or perhaps even less than that. So it's kind of, so you see this kind of thing where I haven't seen it, so I don't believe it, or I've seen a drug has worked, so I think it does work. And then I come along and say, hang on a minute, you know, you've got to understand here, it's not just about what you've seen. We, we, do, we need to look at a much bigger picture and we need to do what the UK has done amazingly well and recruit tens of thousands, I think it's 11,000 people into a huge randomized control trial to test these drugs and see which ones work. And then they come up with the results and some people say, oh, it's just all bias. We don't agree with that. You know, this is some conspiracy. Um, and we, we think the results of the trial don't matter. We, we want to follow what we see with our own eyes, you know? This is, I, I, I like that person. To some extent, the issue I've had really with the UK government uh, over the coronavirus is messaging. I wish they'd be more in their messaging because, okay, not everybody's going to understand the aspect of it. But if people like yourself and myself can understand this, we can pass that on to people we know. I've had this discussion with a guy, as you almost identical to what you mentioned there. He kept saying, if the coronavirus is here. And I go, what do you mean if it's here? The answer is yes. Uh, and people don't understand what evidence means. It comes back to epistemology again, doesn't it? The understanding of knowledge. So because people don't understand that the drugs trials are so complex and that the placebo effect is so strong and regression to the mean is what happens with pretty much everything. You know, we don't die of everything we ever get ill with. So it's an understanding that 
cause and effect nature. And it's only through, you said, through the controlled, randomized, double-blinded trials that we can do and understand that that effect is. Uh, I had somebody I knew who said, talking about homeopathy, don't get me started on homeopathy. Uh, <laughs> it works for me. And I just said, how would you know it works for you? You've yeah. got better know the cause and effect there. Correlation doesn't mean and why I wish the government messaging was stronger to explain to people what the factors of this virus are that make it a, da a dangerous virus. And, uh, for those, I'm sorry I'm talking to yourself, you only know this heck of a lot than me, but how I understand it, what I've learned, we look at uh, morbidity, we look at number of cases, and we look at the R number. And it's through those two factors is how we, what sanctions we need to take to control this. If the cases is very low, we can relax the sanctions. If number was very low we could relax them but we can't aren't in this case but i don't think that we've been educated enough as a populace to understand that and then to understand the consequences exactly as said with the blood cancer what i haven't told you is i'm just waiting treatment for prostate so we have another thing in common oh, okay. uh, i said to my wife more careful now we've got to adhere to the rules uh tighter because i'm about to surgery in a, in a few weeks time so i can't afford to catch this virus before then so i don't want to delay I don't want to put anybody else at risk. And again, yeah, I think it's the messaging isn't enough to explain to us the consequences. I don't think there's enough about understanding virology to the extent that, yes, the morbidity rate is much lower in young people to be almost insignificant in some categories. But that's, again, the holistic approach, not the holistic approach of looking at society. They can go and meet, but they're going to come and you at another stage, or they're going to meet going to communicate with me we could go in the same public space touching the same things so again that selfishness again or a personal drive against your position within a community uh and i wish we'd be have methods to be help people understand this better because i think it is as bad in this area as the virus itself and those who are not ignorant will deal with it better no i i agree so now billy we had a few sort of thoughts um that that came up um you had some questions, didn't you? And I, and I yes. thought it might be good to cover a couple of those, actually. <laughs> we've, we, we've, we, this has all been introduction, really, but there we go. And we've all been agreeing. I mean, we just basically, you and I have been agreeing with each other, which is wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm having to look the questions up, but if you want to come back to them, if you've got them ready. Uh, well, I've uh, I I got one of the questions, um, which I remember, so I'll, I'll sort of dive in with that one while you're thinking yeah. about the other. Was this idea, one of the things I said in here was that, look, Christians are meant to be seekers after the truth. Um, and yeah. I made the point that um, the Christian worldview um, could arguably, you know, be the foundation for, for Western science. And you had a bit of a debate. Yeah. And, and, and so, I'm, I mean, I guess I should maybe um, sort of speak a little bit to that. So your, your, your thought was, hang on a minute, not, not all scientists are Christians. And I would immediately say, of course, that's absolutely the case. Um, but my argument was this, that if you were looking at Europe, um, and uh, the sort of renaissance of science. I know there was science in the, in the you know, ancient world, Archimedes and all that sort of stuff. But if yeah. you look at you know, Newton and all of those types of things, they were all Christian in terms of the worldview, in terms of the background. Some of them would have been, you know, stronger or, or lesser believers. Um, and I think for me, you know, look, let's put it this way. Supposing the whole world was atheist, you know, yeah. back in the days, and supposing yeah. nobody really thought that there was a creator, nobody thought that there was any order to the world, that there was any structure to the world, that there was any design to the world, that it was all just random, and that it was all just, you know, well, just the way it looked, you know, just disorder, there was just chaos, and, and then we die, you know, and without that sort of sense of the other, the designer, the order, the structure, the absolute truth, if you like, um, that we can see. 
you know, would people have had that scientific urge or not? So, so my, my, my perspective, and you know, I, I could be wrong, is that, but I, but I felt like historically that Christian worldview that there was a truth out there to find, that there was a creator who had set the world up. And, you know, even today people talk who might be absolutely believers in, you know, evolution and all the rest of it and, and completely accept all the sort of modern science. But they'll say things like, well, did you know that, you know, for example, the water molecule, if it wasn't designed the way it is, you know, where the ice forms on top of the pond rather than at the bottom up, and that's one of the few liquids that that will happen with, you know, life wouldn't be compatible. So there you go. God set up the constants of the universe in order that these things would work because there are certain constants that if they were just slightly different, life would never work. Or if we were that much further away or closer to the sun that, you know, we wouldn't survive. All these kinds of things. So, the, so this idea that a designer has somehow created the laws of the universe. And so if the laws of the universe have some sort of absolute, you know, authority behind them, we can try and find them and we can try and be like God. We can try and be creative, if you like. We can try and be seekers after the truth. And actually, the bizarre sort of way, the way I would see the history of science, if you like, in Europe, um, in, in, since that Middle Ages and, and, and beyond, is that eventually, uh, it's almost like Christianity spawned this sort of science thing that almost then turned back on its creator and said, hang on, you know, once Darwin comes along and other people come along, we're not so sure we, we're not so sure we believe, uh, you know, that using this seeking after the truth, we're not so sure that there's evidence to say that there is a God, because of course, you know, I think both you and I would agree that you can't necessarily prove or disprove God in the way that you can prove or disprove whether a drug works. It's not quite so simple. And so ultimately, you know, the monster of science, if you like, turned and became anti-God. And you had the whole sort of God is dead movement and, and all of that. And, and the idea of sort of atheism almost emerged out of that. But, but it's a bizarre sort of thing where I would almost argue that the that the philosophical underpinnings, it's a bit like morals. So, you know, a lot of Christians will turn out turn to an atheist and say how can you have any morals and we're not saying that atheists are bad people they're not but what we're saying is your very morals you know or in this case you're very seeking after the truth yeah. the origin of that historically was the christian faith is what we would say and now you're, you're still holding on to these things but where is the foundation so i guess that would be well i mean you're very okay. welcome to come back at me and say that's a load of rubbish I certainly wouldn't say it's a load of rubbish because I don't have the answers. Uh, but what I would say on that uh, is, are we taking a correlation and causation uh, approach again now? In as much that Christianity was obviously pretty much the only religion of any consequence in Europe at that time. So by default, pretty much everybody in positions were Christian. Was it the Christianity that did that? Or was it natural human desire to, to, to learn? Uh, the factor behind that. So there'll be many factors. Is that one? Let's look. You mentioned Newton. Let's look at Newton or other scientists from that that golden era of uh, understanding. Would they be a Christian if they were allowed alive now? So was it their Christianity that made that? I suspect that a, a lot of, of I couldn't say what number, but a significant number, whether that's a high number and a low number of scientists in that era, may well be atheists if they're allowed now, because it's all based on what knowledge we had available to us, and. I kind of often see science, uh, the progression of science, as an increase in resolution. The more detail we can see, the more we change our modelling. And at that time, we didn't have much detail to see. Yes, we had astronomy. Yes, we could see the stars. We didn't fundamentally understand what they were. We didn't know how big they were. We didn't know how far away they were. Uh, but our resolution allowed us uh, to make some leaps. 
So that could have been the natural progression. Instead of Christianity being the driving force, it could well be technology that's the driving force. As we have better technology, we can do better experiments, we can get a better understanding of the results of those experiments. Um, when you mentioned tr a little segue here, when you mentioned truth, uh, I, this is, I don't like to use the word belief, but I will in this case. One of the few beliefs I have is that the actual only truth in the universe is mathematics. Uh, if there is the concept of parallel universes, if there is a concept of universes that may have different uh, laws, exactly as you said, meaning water molecules don't, ice doesn't float on water, or the relationship between protons and neutrons, etc., is different, or whichever forces, would the universe be a different thing? Yes, it would. It could still exist as a universe. Would life exist? We can't know. A different version of life may well exist. Um, but the only thing that would be same, undeniable between those two is mathematics. Mathematics is absolute. I've segued a little bit there, but we went into to truth. So going back to the, the, the Christianity and the Western Europe, there is undoubtedly a, a, a correlation between the development of science and technology during that period. All the question is, can we know that it was the Christian faith that drove that forward? Uh, if the Christian faith is allowing people to be more inquisitive, is that an evolution of Christian faith? Because Christianity has different aspects, doesn't it? We all know that there are some people in Christianity who are biblical literalists. Um, I, I somehow doubt, I'm going to guess that you're probably not a biblical literalist. Uh, would that be true? I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, it depends what part you're talking about, I suppose, really. I mean, I think, you know, I do take parts of the Bible literally that are intended to be taken literally. Um, but then there are other parts of the Bible that are quite clearly more poetic. And, and obviously, you know, you'd be a fool to take poetry literally. I mean, you know, just classic examples. Even today, we talk about uh, the sun rising and the sun setting. I mean, we do that all the time because we're using anthropomorphic, you know, central language. To us, it looks like the sun's rising. You know, yeah. no one, everyone knows that the earth is rotating now. We all know that. Um, but we still talk about the sun rising and the sun setting and the sun making its path across the, the sky, because that's what we see, you know? Um, it's a bit like the whole sort of thing when you're in a train at a station. I mean, gosh, you'll, what, that, you're, you know, you're sitting at the station waiting for your train to go, and suddenly you think, oh, we're moving, but we're not. You look and you realise it's the train next to you. And that's very disorientating when that happens. So, so that's a great example. There's lots in the scriptures about that, but that doesn't mean that, that, that they really believed that the sun was moving, you know, um, and all of that. It, it really doesn't. So, yeah, so, um, but let's not get too much into exactly the boundaries of what bits I take literally and what I don't, because I think... I yeah, of course, that's not... That's not that's what what <laughs> <laughs> so, so to go back to the, to the European, uh, we'll, we'll call it Renaissance, scientific Renaissance, from probably the 16th century onwards, really, we're looking in that area. Well, yes, there's obviously uh, a relationship between... Christianity in Europe at that stage and where we are now. Was that the driving force? I don't know. Was it areas of Christianity were becoming more open? Was it potentially because we're starting to see different uh, factions within Christianity and different, different interpretations of Christianity? You know, I, I, I sometimes, this isn't for this discussion, but I sometimes find, find it difficult to comprehend why there are different versions of Christianity. If God is absolute and God is the truth. Surely there must be only one answer, but that's a different discussion. So, no, but was it? It's an interesting point because actually, um, the the idea. Uh, some would argue that it was almost the idea of the sovereignty of the individual that comes up because you know a monk, you know, in sitting in um, in a little se seminary somewhere was able um, to to look at what the Roman Church was saying and go, that's rubbish," you know. 
and that he gets out his Bible. So in, in this instance, he's saying that the Bible is the source of my authority. And he compares the, the Bible to what these experts, theologians are saying. He says, I'm going to follow the Bible. And then what he did was he writes his little thing. And this is where technology comes in because he sticks something on a, on a board, on a, on a door, nails it to a door. Um, and, you know, probably just 10 years before that, that would be the end of it. But because someone had invented the printing press, Something I'm just writing the word printing press. As you said that, I'm writing the word printing press. Was that a driver? And apparently, without even his permission, turned it into a pamphlet, and suddenly that gets communicated around Europe, yeah. and are then able to look at this new authority figure, this this monk called Luther, and compare it to the other one, and then suddenly you've got this split. And in a sense, you know that that kind of approach is crucial for science as well because you know science is, only gets advanced when people actually go i'm not so sure i believe the received wisdom anymore and i'm going to do my own bit of research you know maybe not into the bible but into into sort of evidence around you know i'm going to look at the i don't know i'm going to look at the the peas and see how they grow and whether they're tall or short and you know mental discovers genetics and all of it i'm going to observe with a, with an eye of, of wonder and an eye of inquiry and an eye of of maybe I could actually find something out that is that is different to what everyone else is. So, but it's interesting because, of course, that very same attitude arguably could lead to the conspiracy theory. Because I was just saying, you, know, you shouldn't believe one person against all the experts, and yet I say we should maybe follow Luther. You know, it's, it's kind of really interesting. It's, it's choosing your expert is really crucial at this point, and choosing your ability to discern what's right and wrong, what's truth. You know, actually seeking for the truth and lining up. The evidence and saying okay so this person might be an authority but here are their assumptions here's this other person who's making a new theory and here are their assumptions which one of these is true which one of these are we going to follow and is that just a democratic thing i mean in europe of yeah. course it wasn't democratic it was about which king what the king decided and so you had that whole sort of you know war of the religions between even in the uk where you know one minute we've got a catholic king and the next minute we've got protestant then catholic and protestant and even to this day our king or queen has to be a Protestant, they can't be a Catholic. And they think yeah. atheist, but they can't be a Catholic by law. Uh, That's really interesting. So so there you've got authority imposing um the, the, the view of these sort of upstart, you know, anti-authority people. So I think that's one of the challenges within the Christian faith is we've got this strong belief in the sort of the the individual rising against the kind of populist view or the, the received yeah. wisdom view, which is a view that, that that also can drive science. So it's it's yeah, interesting. But it can drive well, perhaps that's perhaps where I think I, I, I'm doing what I think I should do as a scientist and I'm learning more information and changing my view. So I'm actually changing part of my view as we're speaking. And when I said, when you mentioned printing press, as soon as we start to talk about, so it's, is it, was it the Christian, was Christianity fortunate to be around in that period where we'd progress somewhere? Or was it Christianity driving a desire for learning? Whether that learning is about Christianity itself or science could be was it the desire to look so we're getting to a phase when you said the monks were starting to document we were writing i can't remember when the printing press was invented but it was probably a long time after the period we're talking now so was it the fact that now we can communicate not only to, to like we are here or as if we're in the same so yeah. i say communicate ideas across distance and across time because i can document them so once we started to document and we got the sharing of information is that the driving force for uh, what we saw of this explosion in that minute. I suspect that might be a factor for it. So was, no, no. That, was that Christian ideology driven that? 
or was it a something desire to understand itself better that has other people to want to understand the rest better? Uh, we can't really answer that, but I suspect it's a combat of the two. Uh, freedom of the individual to communicate with other individuals and the lack of reliance on uh, uncontrolled authorities. Yeah, no, I agree. And that obviously, yeah, the printing press was around when Luther was there. I'm not sure. I think it was created around that time. And then, of course, ever since then, we've had better and better technologies of communicating. Yeah. And, and that's why I think, you know, we, the problem is, you see, one person comes up with an idea and then and if it becomes a meme, you know, millions of people watch it the next day. And, you know, that can be fine if it's just something funny. I mean, I don't know, the <laughs> mask lady, you remember that, you know, and, and, you know, she just sort of has her moment of joy in her car and the next thing you know, it's spread with the world. And that, that, that happens. Everyone has their sort of 15 minutes of fan, fame. We're all potentially the next celebrity. You know, we've all got our kind of paparazzi watching us. You've know, got to be careful. You never know who's filming you and what might go there, you know. But, but all of that. So I think that's definitely part of it. But you had some other questions, I think, and some other comments. Yeah. I don't know if you've... Um, so, yes, we, I think we've covered the first two. Um, actually, I think it really it was my first two questions covered that. The other was just sort of technical discussions about various aspects when we spoke about random RCT trials and, uh, uh, and sanctions we take, which we've actually covered in this discussion now. Uh, and my comment, I'm saying I wish I lived in New Zealand right now. Uh, you wish I wish I lived in New Zealand now. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. I the questions I had there, I think we've covered in most of it because we really the fundamentals were about can Christianity take credit for for that mm. revolution and maybe revolutions as, as, as like that have happened in the past. Uh, for instance, take um, the Islamic influence on mathematics. Uh, yeah. What from zero BC to about a thousand BC? Huge growth of mathematics in that area there, and both Christianity and Islam and uh, Judaism as the Abrahamic faiths have had, have had periods where they want to be enlightened and they've had periods when they've suppressed as well and I think as you said it depends who's sitting at the top of the tree and what their approach to that is uh, so on those questions I think yeah we've we've sort of covered that about my first was about Christianity's influence can we aim that influence um, yes. did comment that there's no such thing as western science didn't I that there is just yes. science I think you were explaining to better that we talked about what happened in Europe at that time. Uh, this is why in, when we moved on to colonial age, Western Europe was so dominant worldwide because we'd had that explosion of, of understanding and science and technology and whatever we had taught. Uh, so to be honest, I think we've actually covered most of what we had in, in, in on that. Um, so in but, our sort of like little kind of waving around, we covered most of those issues. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. but so just to acknowledge, I'd never said that only only Christians can be scientists. In case it <laughs> no. Um, and, uh, um, I, but I guess my question, and actually I haven't quite heard an answer to this from you. So this is my question okay. for you. Where where does that seeking for the truth come from if you're not a because you know it's easy to see believe the creators out there let's find out what he's done if, if you don't believe that where does that come from i just lost a bit through streaming just on there i think i lost but i think you're saying where does my desire to, to learn and to understand come from yeah, I'm looking for the truth yeah yeah i wish am i looking for the truth i don't know because i don't know that i'd know the truth if i saw it 
what we believe to be true as little as 20 years ago isn't true now. So go back hundreds of years. You know, if we went back into medieval England now and we had this and we perceive medieval England as our, our, our so almost romantic, I won't say romanticized, but Hollywood view, we'd probably be burned for being witches because of what we know now. Uh, what everybody in the entire, uh, uh, who's lucky enough to have had an education in the world knows is more than what people knew a few hundred years ago. So, uh, the, so uh, the truth, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is. That's why I said earlier that I think the only truth is mathematics. Everything else is an evolution of the truth or an expansion of the truth or a higher resolution of the truth as we can see things in more detail. For instance, a quick example of resolution of the truth. Newton, we mentioned earlier, we can fly a rocket to any of the planets in the solar system using Newtonian mechanics. But Newtonian mechanics, you cannot get your sat-nav to work. You need Einstein for your sat-nav to work, because unless you take into account uh, relativity and time dilation, you can't triangulate the satellite signals. We won't go into too much detail. So Newton was true. We knew he was true. We, would, we could understand he could explain it's true until we got a bigger, better resolution. So my desire for the truth, is it a desire for the truth? I don't think it is a desire for the truth. It's a desire for understanding. Is, is that the same thing? I don't know. Um, and as I said, I think that's the most important. That's the desire for, for the truth, perhaps, to say, I don't know. And I want to know why I don't know. Uh, and perhaps it's a lack of arrogance, the ability to step back. Uh, perhaps I see in some communities, and I, and I see postings, as we mentioned, the, 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 don't like to say that, the Christian right in the US, those with the loudest voices. I think they're suppressing the concept of, I don't know. Very good. Yeah, very good. But I think, you know, what's been really gratifying about this conversation is you and I come from completely different backgrounds. We've got a completely different view of the world. Yeah. You know, I believe in a God, you don't. Um, yeah. And yet, uh, actually, we've agreed on, on, on a immense amount, and it's been less of a kind of, throwing rocks at each other, like some people might assume, um, and more of a sort of trying to kind of mutually understand and, and discuss. And I feel like there's a lot of other things we could talk about, um, but I'm also aware that I need to go and worship my creator now, recording this on a Sunday morning. And um, uh, I've got an appointment with YouTube and with Jubilee Church. And I guess, I don't know, what does an atheist do on a Sunday morning? What will you be doing? Then? Uh, normally, I'm very sporty. Normally, something around sport. I'm a very keen hockey player, but we can't do that at the moment. Uh, on a Sunday morning, relax. Is that <laughs> that's, that's what I try to do. Well, it's lovely to chat, and you know, maybe we can have another conversation sometime and, and try and find something more to disagree about. But um, you know, it's been, it's been great, and thank you very much, Billy Richard. Um, wonderful to chat to you, and. Uh, uh, this will be posted sometime this afternoon, I think, once I've finished with my church and had my lovely Sunday lunch from my mother. I'm still actually I'm, I'm a boomerang generation person at the moment. I'm staying with my mum and dad, although that will change soon. And I'll hopefully go back to my wife and kids uh, who I was hiding from because obviously they're a source of infection. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the rates are going down. And um, this is the thing. You've got to know your context. So, you know, people in the US, unfortunately, the rates are still going up in many, many states. Um, but for us at the moment, the rates are, are, are stable at quite a low level. I think only about nine or ten people dying a day at the moment, which is wonderful. It's not many and um, hardly anyone in hospital um, and less than one in 2000 people in the UK right now being infected. So, you know, I'm a little bit less nervous, but I am still a bit nervous. So I've, I've got to be careful. And there will be certain, you know, um, certain uh, what's the word precautions that I'll be taking when I go back home um and um uh, things like that but th that's the plan to actually sort of do that over the next little while so thank you very much and it's well, can i just say one more thing i want to say thank you it's been it's 
been a very interesting 36 hours uh, since I first got to know who you, got to know you. Thank you for allowing me to talk. I really look forward to, to actually exploring other areas yeah. where we don't agree because we clearly do have an incredible amount um, I'm trying to think, philosophically in common about our approach. I would like to explore our differences in, in the same way we have about perceptions of, of God, but I think we, that is really probably the only difference we have. Uh, mm. Maybe maybe I'm a little more sport obsessed. Uh, <laughs> no, I like my Formula uh, One, so. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, we are, it's, it, and it's good that we can explore our differences, and we probably can because we can accept our similarities. If if either of us had a different personality, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. I think you're right. Well, it's lovely to yeah. chat. And, um, we'll, we'll be in touch. All the best. Thanks a lot. Bye bye then. Well, you've made it to the end of an episode of Adrian Warnock's Christian Podcast. You must have some stamina. Well done. And if you liked what you heard, you know what to do. Subscribe, review, tell all your friends about it. And in the meantime, why not visit adrianwarnock.com.